Amen. So as far as the women's, it, the debate was, is it gala or gala? I'm going to say gala because I'm the pastor and I can. Um, nothing. <laughs> anyway, so even he, Pastor John said there was no women, I mean no men here last year. Oh, not this year. I was the man. That I had to confess. I was actually here last year. Um, so there was a man allowed at the gala, gala, but you can only show up if you do dishes. So I was doing dishes the whole time in the back, but I got to eat for free. So it was worth it. Amen. But it was great. Um, and so if you weren't here, what the ladies do is you, you get a table and you decorate it. Last year they had a competition. like uh, and It was awesome. Just different uh, winter wonderland themes. And they were actually really amazing, the competition. Because women, they're not competitive at all. Um, but, uh, but it was awesome. So if you want to see, see Rhoda, Rhoda, lift your hand up. You can see, see her if you're interested in that. Um, or Bonnie at the back. <laughs> that sounds like a song. Bonnie at the back. Um, but anyhow, I, th- I believe in having fun at church. Um, you know me, if you know me, you, I talk about sin, man. I'm, I'm serious about getting our hearts right with Jesus. Um, but I also believe that we should leave joyful, amen? And I think church should be a fun place. And especially for your kids, this should be a place that they want to come, not dread it. So we try to make it fun. So with that, kids, first through sixth grade, uh, Mr. Louie meets you right back there by the exit sign and he'll lead you to kids' church. Um, and if, you're, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Luke chapter one. Uh, we're gonna go through a story that we already talked about. And so don't go, oh, we already did this message. Well, you didn't get it the first time, so I'm going to tell you the second time. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at it from a different angle. And it's the story when, when Mary hears that she's going to be pregnant with the Son of God. And we're going to talk about the emotional side of it. Because most of us, uh, we understand, we, we know what the facts are, but the emotion gets us. Like we have these emotions that, that happen uh, when we hear something or, or do something. And, and to, to be found pregnant without being married is a kind of an emotional thing, especially in this day. Um, you know, it's not like today. We're a lot more graceful today. Thank the Lord. Amen. Because every baby I believe that's conceived, whether it was planned or not, has a purpose. I mean, God, God is never surprised by a pregnancy. And God never goes, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Okay, God knows, okay, he knows the beginning to end. Um, so however you were conceived or your children were conceived, uh, whether it was in wedlock, out of wedlock, unplanned, okay, there's a purpose for that child. I really believe that. You have to believe that you have a purpose. So um, in life, there's your plan and then there's God's plan. Have you ever heard the statement, if you wanna make God laugh, tell him your plans? You know, I've heard that a lot, but I wanna add to that. There's some truth to it, but my view is it's better to have a plan than not have one at all. Like, I, I want to have a plan for my life, for me personally, uh, because the title of today's message is When Plans Are Interrupted. You ever have these plans, like you had a dinner plan or a romantic evening plan, and then you forgot you had children, but they didn't forget they had you? <laughs> you ever just try to use the restroom? Moms, you know, sometimes that's the only safe place you can go. Like, in our house, we have three locked doors to get to the bathroom, and there was intention with that, because we had three kids, it's like there's these barriers, and, and you know, when you have kids, you have these plans, but then the plans get interrupted a lot. I per- personally was going to be a mechanic. That's what um, I planned to do. I grew up in a very godly home. My mom and dad loved Jesus. My grandparents loved Jesus, but I never really saw ministry as something I was going to do. Um, it was in high school when I was 17 that I felt God call me uh, to pastor, and I was like, but, but God, I don't like being around people. 
Like I was, I'm like a loner, I'm a happy by myself. I like fixing cars, they don't talk back because I can control what happens. And, and, but I loved people and I, I, hopefully you know that I love you. Uh, but God changed my plan. My plan was to be a mechanic. I was gonna do something with my life and God says, no, I have a different calling for you. And, and so now I still know how to rebuild engines and I still get to pastor, so it's kind of a best of both worlds. Uh, but my, my plans were interrupted. So with that thought, I wanna read something to you that I wrote down here regarding my life, was ideally, when your plan meets God's plan, there's not a violent collision, but more of a soft merging together. So you're living your life for God, you're doing the best you can, you got this plan, you're like, because I believe God wants you to have a plan, but you need to be okay when he changes the plan. You need to be okay with the one who he alters that plan. So God's will, I believe, isn't necessarily a location thing, but it's using what you have where you are. In other words, if, if I'm, I'm called the pastor of church, and I love CUNA, I love this town, never plan on leaving. Um, this is where I hope to, 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 I would say you don't even retire as a pastor. It's, it's different than a normal location. But there is a time when you need to know you just need to step back. I'm smiling, right? There's a point where you're like, I'm killing the church, not growing it, so I better let somebody else younger and better do it. There's a point when that happens. Uh, but, but if something was to take place, like with my wife's health, okay, where the only place she could really survive was Maui. <laughs> Just for instance. It's kind of our favorite place to get away, all right? And, and so, I mean, she really like, I, I, Idaho weather's just getting to me, and she's like, Maui, I, I'm fine, everything's great in Maui. Um, I don't wanna move to Maui, I like to visit there, but I don't like to live there because I like elk hunting and I like snowmobiling, and you can't really do that in Maui without getting in trouble, okay? But, but if I said, you know what, her health is more important than my likes, then we're gonna move to Maui, I could pastor a church there and still be doing God's call, just in a different location, Right, so, so sometimes we get hung up on location as being uh, God's call, but it's not necessarily where you're at, it's what you're doing where you are. And you are simply called to make a difference in the lives of other people wherever you're at. And many of you have recently moved to Idaho, and, I, and I, I'm like, you're the smart ones, right? You, you, you left crazy and you came to, to a wonderful place. Uh, my wife and I have been here, I, I, I just turned 15 last week. I, that was a total lie, that came out. That abundance of the heart. I turned 50. Did I say 15? I know what I said. Uh, I, turned, I turned 50 last week and I moved here when I was 19. Like I've been here a long time. Like Daniel Boone was still roaming the hills of Idaho when I moved here. Y'all know he wasn't, he was from Texas, I think. But, um, and so I thought, man, that's a long time. We've seen a lot of changes here. We've seen a lot of changes and, and we absolutely love it. So you were here for a reason. You were here as maybe you, you thought you were escaping something, but God has a plan. God has a plan and you need to be right where God wants you to be. So location can change, but God's basic call in your life stays the same. Uh, I'm gonna stick to my notes a little bit for the sake of time. So use the gifts God has given you where you are today and you'll find yourself in God's plan tomorrow. Use the gifts today and you'll find yourself in God's plan tomorrow. Uh, most of us are familiar with the story of the angel uh, talking to Mary about Jesus. Um, it's made to look easy because we don't stop to think about the emotion involved when this encounter took place. There was an interruption in Mary's plan. Mary had a plan. You know what her plan was? I get to marry Joseph. She had this plan. And it was most likely um, an arranged marriage. And I had this thought. You, if we did more arranged marriages, there would be less deranged marriages. 
right? Like we get to control who you marry. But in our culture, that's not how it works, right? There's the dating process and all the emotions. But in this culture, the arranged marriage was the common avenue to how people got married. Two, two parents go, yep, are you compatible, compatible? Let's get to this. So Mary likely knew she was gonna marry Joseph even before this engagement process, okay? It would save you a lot of pain um, if you listen to your parents sometimes, Right? We, we know that, that, that parents can see things you don't. Uh, but this culture, G, uh, uh, the, the Savior was going to be born to an Israelite woman. So I want to tell you a little bit about the culture here and why it makes more sense as we get into the message to, to Mary's emotional state of what's going to happen. Um, she would be the, the mother of the Savior. In other words, the what was going to be answered. Mary, this is what's going to happen. You will be with a child and he will be the Messiah. What you may not know if you didn't go to Bible college or study, is that in this whole generation, there's, there's hundreds of years of Jewish women knowing the Messiah would be born in, in the Jewish culture. So you had a lot of these hopefuls, a lot of these women that think maybe I could be the one to carry the Messiah. It would be born to an Israelite woman. That's why if you were barren, if you couldn't have kids, you were disqualified so it wasn't just the fact that I can't have kids, but it was I have no chance to give birth to the Messiah. So that was actually a thing in this culture. Like every, every mom in here wants to be, to, to be the mom of a superstar, right? Right? You are. No, yeah, Asher's the superstar, right? We know that. Okay, everybody, everybody's like, man, if my kid could be successful, my kid was the one that, you know, found a cure for cancer or found a cure for COVID or found, you know, something that made them great and I get to be their parent, that's a pretty cool thing. We all like it when our kids succeed. So in this, in this culture here, moms were hoping secretly that maybe I get to be the mom of the Messiah. Well, that's what gets into the story. So we're going to read the story again because uh, you all didn't get it the first time. So sometimes we have to repeat things as pastors. <laughs> in fact, there was a pastor who preached the same sermon three weeks in a row. Finally, the fourth week, the guy goes, Pastor, how come well, you've done this three weeks in a row? How come you're preaching it again? He says, as soon as you start living it, I'll quit preaching it. All right. That wasn't me, just so you know, right? Let's read the story and then we'll talk about it. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, uh, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Mary would have been 14 to 16 years old here. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Last week or two weeks ago, uh, when I, I read this scripture, I was like, you know, how, how would you be troubled at a, a greeting like this? You got an angel who says, you are highly favored, God's with you. And I, I thought, you know, wouldn't you be excited about that? Like, well, yeah, no, I'm, I feel pretty good. That's kind of cool. But it says she was troubled. Well, Monday morning, as I was doing my study for, for this message, I was kind of talking to God about it. I wasn't kind of talking. I was either talking to God or you're not not kind of. And, and I, I said, Lord, again, what's the thing? And here's what I felt the Holy Spirit said. He said she was troubled because she was humble. That Mary was so humbled to get praised like that, it made her a little uncomfortable because she didn't think she was all that. And that's the whole reason that God noticed her was because she was a simple, humble servant. And somebody with true humility, when you give them a lot of praise, it kind of makes them a little troubled. Like, I know my dirt. I know I'm not that good. I'm not as good as you think I am. Why are you giving me this praise? Because I know I really don't deserve it. And, and that's why I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. So I got my answer to the question as to why it made her answer the way that she did. It was, it was a humility thing. It was a humility thing. The angel saw something that Mary didn't see in herself. She didn't see it in herself, and that's a cool deal. So a true servant of God doesn't see themselves as all that. 
they know their own dirt. They know their weaknesses, and, and they're humble in that, okay? She was righteous, but she was not self-righteous. And I want to fast forward to a story that Jesus would tell about self-righteousness. You ever ran into a self-righteous person? They want to tell you how good they are and, and what you're not. I ran into a couple of them um, in my lifetime, and Jesus addresses this, and I love that. I've actually never preached on this, this story. I need to sometime. It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. He was talking about the Pharisees. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee who was a religious leader of the time, and the other a tax collector who were very much hated. Not, it's unlike the IRS of today. Um, back then, tax collectors weren't very highly thought of. They all see you listening. <laughs> You'll get it in April when you get your tax bill, right? The Pharisee stood up and he prayed this about himself. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like all these men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector who stood at a distance would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And the humility is, is what God saw in Mary, and she was chosen to be the carrier of the Savior of the world. Um, see, humility can only happen if you're honest with yourself. It can only happen if you're honest with yourself, because if we're honest with ourselves, we are, we're not as good as we think we are. We have more faults than we think we are. If we're honest with ourselves, we will know that we deserve hell, but we got heaven. And that should cause us to be humble. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus got onto this, this story here, this, the Pharisee for just being so self-righteous. Uh, the two self-righteous people that I've encountered in my life that I remember, they, both of them confronted me as to why I did not read the King James Bible instead of the NIV. I read the, I preach out of the NIV, uh, Thompson Chain. And, and I got confronted by two different people at two different times. And the conversation was great until we got to Bible version. And as soon as they found out I, I read out of the NIV, uh, they're like, oh, brother, you need to get the real Bible. And I'm like, whoa, I thought we were talking about Jesus here, not Bible versions, right? And, and, and it just turned, I mean, he just turned on me. And I was like, What's up with that? You know, it was a religious thing. And the other guy that called me um, not too long after I got to this church, about 23 years ago, um, and he's like, I just really bothered by the fact that you read out of the NIV and da da da. And, and the guy's life was a mess, total disaster, total mess. And here he was talking to me about reading the NIV, and, and his, I'm like, bro, look at your life. I didn't say that. I was like, I was thinking, because I didn't quite know the person yet and over the period of time, I thought if an alien came down from heaven and they saw my life with the NIV Thompson Chain and his life with the King James, they totally went with the NIV. Like Stan's life's working, that guy's not, life's not working. Uh, we eventually talked things out and he had just got a, somebody had been putting some stuff into his mind about it's the only Bible, you know? Well, it wasn't the only Bible. King James is not what the apostle Paul read. Okay, if you want to be super spiritual, go to the Greek and Hebrew, learn that, and then come talk to me. Okay, here's what I know. There's a lot of different versions. There's a lot of different things. Mostly, if your version, not mostly, if your version says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, that's the one you need to be reading, okay? You can't work your way to heaven. So I, I used to say, you know what? There's a lot of versions, but if it tells you to love God with all your heart, all your soul, mind, and strength, and it tells you to love people, read the one that you can understand. 
Don't get all religious and you know, I'm not gonna chastise you for reading King James because that's what I grew up on, but I don't speak that way these days. So the NIV with my simple little mechanic brain needs something that I can understand. But people get hung up on this, right? And we can get so concerned about the version you're reading. I, I wanna be concerned about the life I'm living. Amen. So, so be careful with religious people. Um, you know, I think Jesus is pretty happy that you're just into his word. And, and so anyhow, if I ever have questions, I do go to the Greek and Hebrew and, and go that way. But, but we can get religious even about Bible version. I think God just wants you to read his word. Amen. That's just, that's where I stand. If you got offended, it's okay. It's going to get better. Um, teaching you how to be graceful. For all of sin fall short of the glory of God. I, I read one time that it, if you think failure affects people in a bad way, wait till you see what success can do. It can really ruin people. Proverbs 27, 21 says this, a man is tested by the praise he receives. He's tested by it. Doesn't, doesn't mean you shouldn't get praise, right? Because people can say good job. And the best way to, to, to answer that when somebody says good job is simply say thank you. I got corrected one time by a, one of my Bible professors and um, I had spoken and we were, Somebody said, good job, and I was like, oh, glory to God, you know, um, and he said, he said, you can say thank you. You can say thank you, <laughs> because he says, you can almost look a little bit false religious. This was to me personally, like, I think I, maybe false humility, like you did a good job, just say thank you. So it kind of set me free, because we can have a religiousness about us um, that will actually put people off. So uh, again, that, that was me personally, that was my story. So you have found favor with God. That's what the angel said to her. What lies behind this statement? How do you get favor in someone's eyes? How do you gain favor? See, what a compliment to her character. To find favor in the eyes of God is the biggest single compliment you can get. You know where you find favor? Favor? Students, listen. The favor is in the behavior. The favor is in the behavior. When you behave, you will gain favor. As parents, we know which kids get our favor. We know which kids' behavior causes us to want to bless them or to say, you know what? You're not being very good. You can't reward every kid the same if the behavior's different. And it's okay to withhold if the behavior's not there to say, you know what? Sorry, you're not getting a bonus <laughs> this week. <laughs> Your present's going somewhere else. You know, that ship kind of sailed already. I should have said this before Christmas. Um, and I probably should have taught kids' church to let them know that, but the favor really is in the behavior. So to live a life that makes God smile is the highest form of success that you can have as a human, to make God smile. It's doing your best to avoid sinful behavior, but it's also how you treat people. It's both and, right? I'm not sure God would consider a hermit who doesn't sin to be much of a success. You get saved, you go move up into the mountains and you never really sin much and you get to heaven, you're like, man, I did good. God says, yeah, but you didn't make a difference. Because here's the deal, when you're in the war, you're gonna get scarred. You're gonna make mistakes, you're gonna sin, you're gonna blow it, you're, you're, why? Because when you're a threat to the devil, the devil's gonna tempt you more, and you're gonna fall more. We said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we're all in the same boat, we've all blown it. And you might say, well, I've never committed adultery, would you ever think about it? Oh yeah, well, yeah, well, what'd Jesus say? If you think about it, you're guilty. That makes every normal man in this church guilty. Have you ever coveted or been jealous? That makes every woman in this church guilty. Except for my wife. She's holy, right? <laughs> my wife's amazing. She's really, she's really not like that. She's got it together. I'm the one that needs work. Um, and uh, I love being married to her because she's challenging. Uh, she's an amazing person. Matter of fact, I was flirting her, with her with my eyes. She didn't see it when she was walking down the stairs right after worship. She was checking on something up there. And I was just looking at her. I was like, man, she is hot. Um, 
I almost got my focus off the message. 28 years and she still gets me. Uh, but I was making eyes at her. I was just watching her. Uh, it's probably good she didn't smile back. I'd have lost all focus. and be like, hey man, you came to church Thursday night. We're good, go home. Because there's favor in the behavior. Right? It is. So Second Chronicles uh, says this, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I love that verse because God sees you. He sees you, he sees what you're going through. He sees, your, he sees your, your situation. He understands what you're facing. He's gonna help you through it if you'll let him to. So back to Mary, what God is asking Mary to do is a huge sacrifice on the surface of things. Again, verse 31 through 34, he says, you're gonna get pregnant, okay? And, and let's read, it says, you will be with child. You'll give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. In other words, he's going to be the king, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Again, what does this sound like is that you get to be a queen mother. The son that you're carrying or going to carry, he will be great, and he will be the king. That means you get to be the queen mom. Now, how cool is that? Like I know in our church and in some of y'all's marriages, you, the queen mother, you are, you are she, you know that he's got the title, but you have the authority. Come on now, don't be looking at me like all oh, spiritual, right? You know that if you push hard enough, ladies, you really do get what you want in most marriages, okay? Us husbands, we're scared of y'all. We know that. We're like, you know, sometimes you're making eyes, other times you're looking to see, like, what is she thinking? You don't want to know what she's thinking, right? Look deep into her eyes. No, don't, right? Sometimes you just don't. You're like, okay, I'll just do whatever you want. We understand that, but, but really, in a normal marriage, there's a little bit of a fear in every man over his wife. There's just this, this, this little respect thing, and you're kind of just, you know what I'm talking about. Every guy knows that. So ladies, you do have this power. Even Adam, when Eve was about to take the apple, he was looking at her going, she really wants this. I do want to step in, but she really wants it. And if I don't give it to her, I might get kicked out of the garden and be myself. I'm just thinking like a guy. Like he's just, I'm not sure what his thought was there. But, but you know what I'm talking about if you're a man. There's this little healthy fear there over your wife. But so, so Mary gets to be the queen mom. And, and in this culture, again, this is a culture of kings and kingdoms. She is not thinking Jesus being a martyr. She's thinking of him being the Messiah. And the Messiah was like, he gets to rule the world and I get to be his mom. So mentally... Again, we're talking about the emotion of Mary here um, as, as a real woman and what she's probably thinking because her whole life she has been taught that the Messiah is gonna be, you know, give, be born to a Jewish woman. I'm a Jewish woman. I could be the queen mom. That was a thing in their culture. So it's very likely when she got picked, all right, she realized, wow, this, you know, it gets to be me, but she was so humble. She didn't go hang up a sign outside of her house that says queen mother, like, I am it, right? She didn't put on a robe or walk through the town and say, hey, bow down. She was just a very, very humble person. But to become pregnant out of wedlock in this day, in this time, meant that they had a right to kill you. There wasn't acceptance. There wasn't grace. And so for her to, to accept what it was that God wanted her to do was about to cost her a lot more than I think she thought about. It was gonna cost her her wedding. It was gonna cost her her reputation. It was going to cost her a lot. And yet she was willing, after the, the angel gave her the information, 
And, and, and she's like, how will this happen? The angel says, nothing is impossible with God. And some of you need to hang on that verse today, verse 27, um, or 37. I'm 50 now. My eyes are like, uh, my wife, you know, for Christmas in my stocking, I found three pairs of reading glasses. It's like, babe, thank you. And they're good ones too. And she said, these ones look better than the ones that you have. There's a little fear thing, like you didn't like the ones I had. Uh, and so, anyway, I was reading last night. It was, it, when I was in bed reading. She said, Kakri, you're not wearing your new ones. I was like, because these ones are closer? It's like, is, am I in trouble? You know, they were still in the package. Uh, nothing's impossible with God. In verse 38 is her answer. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. What a tough thing to say. And then the angel left her. So not only... Was she giving up the wedding, okay? There would be rumors and a stigma for the rest of her life. Again, when she went to Bethlehem to register, family was there. Joseph was from the line of David. That's where David's family lived. So he would have been a relative. This culture was to welcome you in. They had nobody that would be willing to accept them into their home against the culture. But it's family. And they're like, no, you have a stigma. You got pregnant out of wedlock. This guy's choosing to marry you, but there's no room. And even in the end, there was no room. They had to find a stable. So you gotta think about the emotion. It wasn't like Mary went on, you know, I'm giving birth to the king, everything's great. People rejected her. Ladies, you, 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 you struggle with rejection, okay? And Mary is, is no different. She would struggle with rejection. She would struggle with family saying, no, we don't have any room. No, you can't be here. You have this stigma. So for her to carry the son of God, something that should have been amazing, like, wow, you get to be the queen mom. This is amazing. It was, no, you got pregnant out of wedlock. You don't belong here. Think about the emotion of what she's going through. And yet she was willing to say, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. I'll do whatever God wants me to do. Not only giving up her wedding, again, she would be an outcast, she would be shunned and shamed. Her reputation as being a godly young woman was just completely blown out of the water to not even be accepted by her family in a town where you would normally accept family and that was traveling. And she was from Nazareth. <laughs> okay, I did a little research on Nazareth. Nazareth was a little immoral town. In John chapter one, when they found out that Jesus came from Nazareth, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, can anything good come out? Are you kidding? Nazareth? The Messiah's coming out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? See, there was a reason that he said this, because Nazareth had a reputation. But regardless, it's the answer to the question that's important, and the answer is this. Yes, something good can come out of Nazareth. How does this apply to your life? Well, you might have something going on in your life right now that you say, how can anything good come out of this? How can anything good come out of this? See, but God, all things are possible. Whatever your situation is, okay, you might have a Nazareth, like nothing good can come out of this. Well, with God, something can come, good can come out of it. Okay, when God's involved, okay, God can make something good come out of something bad really easy. We just have to be willing to do what it is that God wants us to do in those situations. You see, an egg has to be broken to fulfill its purpose. This would have been the perfect time to grab an egg and throw it on the stage, but I don't think Pastor John would like that. All right, and, and to grab an egg. Uh, I actually did this as a child. My mom likes to remind me of the story that when I was, I don't know, probably six, five or six, that I went into the refrigerator and I got a dozen eggs out of the fridge in a case. I went into my bedroom and I cracked them on the carpet, just all of them, just boom, 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 boom. Uh, I got a really good licking. 
If you don't know what a licking is, it wasn't with the tongue, it was with a stick. Like I got a good spanking. And somehow the spanking wasn't hard enough because the next day she said, I went into the fridge, got another dozen eggs and repeated the process. Just in my bed, I, 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 like, I liked pain. I was like, I'm just gonna do it again. And so that's what my mom had to deal with. Queen mother, mother of Stanley, <laughs> the terror of Orleans, California. Uh, and, and, and I just did it, and I don't know why I did it. I can't tell you why I did it other than it was fun. Today I could have did it and got away with it, not got in trouble. But, but an egg has to be broken to fulfill its purpose. So if you are in a broken situation right now, it may just be that God is going to use you because God uses broken things. He doesn't use the Pharisees because the Pharisees don't want to be. He uses the broken tax collector who says, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. God, will you use me? And God always will say yes. So if you see something broken right now, you just got to think about, okay, maybe there's a purpose behind it. You see, where you come from, Mary would be from Nazareth, where you come from isn't what's important. It's where you're going that truly matters. It's not where you start. It's where you finish that truly matters. Think about the thief on the cross. Guy has lived his whole life of crime. He gets nailed to the cross and next to Jesus and, and he just says to Jesus, Jesus, we, I, he had, basically, I believe who you are. I believe you're the son of God. And he, and he said that by saying, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He's just saying, will you remember me? And Jesus looks and says, you'll be with me in paradise today. He, Jesus didn't look at him and go, man, you totally would qualify, but your past? <laughs> Dude, you're here for a reason. You're hung on a cross because of all the stuff you did. I would totally forgive you if you wouldn't have sinned. Did you catch that? Okay. Why did he get forgiven is because he was a sinner. Here's a guy who is going to die. He's hanging just like Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, you'll be with me today in paradise. Isn't that beautiful? Because it's not how you start. It's how you finish that God is really looking at. Jesus didn't bring up all the dirt of this guy and say, well, let's talk about your past before I can make a decision as to whether or not you're worthy to be saved. Nobody is worthy to be saved, guys. That's why we need a savior. None of us are worthy. We're all, we're all sinners in need of a savior. And I love the story of the cross because it is like a last minute conversion. And I think the devil was like, oh, I got this guy, I got this guy. And Jesus is like, nope, mine. Beautiful. The guy that went to hell was the guy that rejected Christ. The other guy, he was gonna die anyway. He had so much pride, so much hardness that he, he just was like, I'm not accepting. That's why we have three crosses. So you know, this, is, this, has been in, this was in the other building. That's why we have three crosses because in three crosses, there were three choices. The middle cross was Jesus. He chose to die for us. The, the other thief, you know, he, he chose to reject Christ, but the one thief chose to accept Christ. And then every time I see the three crosses, I remember that. What choice am I gonna make? Will I live my life for other people like Jesus did? Will I reject what Christ did or will I accept what Christ did? Regardless of my past, God is not concerned about your past. He's concerned about your future. So don't sit here and think, well, man, if I wouldn't have done all these things, God, no, erase that out of your brain that is from the pit of hell. Jesus is not concerned about your past as far as what you do. What he's concerned about is what are you gonna do with him? What are you gonna do with the, the grace that he's offered you? Because he's got a bright future for you. If he can use a guy like the Apostle Paul who went around killing Christians and persecuting, he can surely use you. If he can use a guy like David who committed adultery, murder, theft, lying, every 10 commandment I think David broke. And yet God says, he's a manner from my own heart. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Hold on, Jesus, that ain't, that's not how it works. You ever try to tell God that's not how it works? Bad idea, but we do. But how, how could David be a man after God's own heart? Well, because David repented. And David was sorry when he sinned. He was sorry when he had, you know, slept with Bathsheba and then killed her husband and took her as a wife. I mean, it was a lot of mess that David created. And yet when he, when he got called on it, he's like, you're right. 
I did do that. I am so sorry. He owned his sin. And God says, I can do something with that when you own it. And I don't think there's many people in this place that did worse things than David. And if you have a story like that, you committed adultery and killed off the husband, just let me know um, if the statute of limitations isn't up yet, but, but that would be a fascinating story. Now you're serving God. Actually, don't tell me that because I might have to tell somebody. Uh, but, but most of us in this place, if anybody, hasn't, didn't do all the things that David did because why? Because you were smarter than David. Pause for the uncomfortable effect, right? You're like, what do you mean by that? I don't think anybody in this place did what David did, but let me tell you something. We probably all thought it. And according to Jesus, when we think it, we're just as guilty. And that's, where we're on the, that's why we're on a level playing field, amen? That we're just sinners in need of a savior and God's grace is amazing. So where you come from, again, it's not that important. It's where you're going that truly matters. So this is the response that she had, okay? He says, you know, you'll have a child. And, and then she's, in verse 34, she's like, okay, well, how will this be? The, the word how is important. How, how will this be? Because I'm a virgin, I know how this works, I haven't been with a guy yet. So it, it isn't a question of unbelief. She's not saying this isn't going to happen. She just wants to know the process. Like, okay, how, how is this gonna, I believe what you're saying, but how? She's like saying, okay, what's the plan? What's the plan? I believe you, but this is weird. What's the plan? Have you ever had those times in your life when you just had something happen, you're like, I didn't see this coming, I had these plans and the plans were interrupted. I, God, I believe you, but I don't know how this is gonna work. That's called faith. Then you'd have to just do what God has asked you to do. So the angel answers, okay, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. That's how it's gonna happen, okay? It's gonna be a immaculate conception. And she's okay with that. And I will tell you this, that God is okay with our questions, but what he's not okay with is our unwillingness. He's okay with your questions. He's okay with saying, God, why is this happening? Why am I going through this? God, Why? God is not like, don't bother me with your wives. It's not like your kid's in the backseat on a trip. When are we gonna get there? When are we gonna get there? When are we gonna get there? Get there? Right? And we don't like that. It's annoying to us. And I don't believe that God gets annoyed with our wives or with our questions. He's a big God. I don't think he gets annoyed by them. I think he just enjoys the fact that you're actually talking to him honestly. And it's like, okay, you're thinking it. You may as well just say God has big shoulders. You may have cursed God in this place. You may have just cussed God out. And I've, I've heard a lot of stories of people just cussing at God. You know, God isn't still offended by that. He was like, well, I would use you. But back in 1972, remember when you cussed me out? You're on LSD, but it doesn't matter. You still said it. I'm reading through Charlie Manson's biography right now, and LSD was a thing back then. Um, and, and so God isn't upset about something you said. He's, he's bigger than that. He doesn't have a human mind that he's offended by what you did or what you said. What he's looking for is a change of heart. He's, he's big enough to, to handle your complaints. He's big enough to handle your emotions. And some of you need to know, you need to let yourself off the hook of something you might have said to God. Okay, if you said it, just say, God, I'm really sorry that I said that. It's not too often that our kids will say something out of frustration when they come back and they're like, I'm so sorry I acted that way. I don't know if anybody's kids have done that, but if that happened... Okay. We, we would accept them back because they recognize the error of their ways and that how, that how, that's how God is with us. God's not okay with our unwillingness. He wants us to be willing. And because Mary had already lived a life of submission to God, she was okay when her plans changed. So my question for you is, are you okay when God changes your plans? Are you okay when you're going down the road on your plans and God says, hey, oh, there's an exit here I want you to take because there's something better. Are you okay with that? How do we know that Mary was okay with it? 
I believe because she had already lived a life of submission to God that she was okay when the plans changed, okay? How do we know this? By her answer. I'm the Lord's servant, I'll do whatever you want. If if this is what you want from me, Lord, then I'll do it. And God's like, it's not gonna be easy. And not only, I don't think this this conversation happened, but in Mary's mind as she lived life, it was the rejection, it was the stigma, it was people whispering when they saw her. It It was, you know, you can't come into my house. She lived a life with seeing Jesus grow up as the oldest son. And did she ever say to his brother James, why can't you just be like your brother Jesus? I don't think Mary did that. I don't think she did that. But she would see her son then live a life of of helping people and getting killed for it. So Mary's heart, her whole life wasn't an easy thing, but she was still willing to do what God wanted her to do. The question is, are you willing to do what God wants you to do? I put this on Facebook recently because I've had horses before, but if you were a horse, would God have to use spurs to get you to do what he wants? You see, if you know anything about horses, horses, they go by leg cues. You can just move your foot just a tiny bit and a good horse will know which way to go. Other horns, neck rein, they have the bit in their mouth. I don't want to be the horse that has to have a harsh bit in my mouth when God wants me to do something. I want to just follow the nudging of the Holy Spirit when he says, go this way, that I just go that way. And I know many of you are like that. I know you're, you're the ones, if somebody said, do they, are they a spur and, and harsh bit Christian or are they a nudge Christian? I would say they're a nudge Christian. They know the voice of the Holy Spirit. Stephen, you're one of them. No, just, he knows the voice of God. Just, just a little nudge. Just follow, follow what it is that God wants him to do. Rhoda, you too. You're married. I better include you. Um, they, both know the, they both know the Holy Spirit's voice. Okay? And I could call a lot of you out, but, but that, the people that, that just, that it's the nudge thing, you probably had spurs at one time. I had lots of spurs as a child. It was like, okay, God, my dad had to spur me to get me to learn to nudge. Like, you want me to spur you, boy? No, I'll just, go, just nudge me, Lord. Just nudge me. I don't want to be spurred. I don't, want to, I don't want a harsh bit in my mouth. I want to just listen to the voice of God and do it. But most of us struggle at verse 38. And that's where she just said, I'm the Lord's servant. Okay, may it be as you have said. And then the angel left her, may it be as you have said. I had big plans, I had this wedding, I had a good reputation, I had a man who loves me. Now I gotta tell him I'm pregnant. Okay, there's gonna be shame as to how people will treat me. And we need to think about her emotions, I believe, to appreciate her. We have to think about the emotional side of what God was asking her to do. She was willing to give up her plans to do what God wants and that's what God is asking of us, to live a life of surrender If you don't get anything out of today's message, here's something I need you to take home. Um, I should have made it a slide, but I didn't, kind of an afterthought. And that's this, and I'll say it a couple times. Sometimes what God asks you to do is not going to make sense to other people. Sometimes what God asks you to do is not going to make sense to other people. I had a friend of mine, and we were driving one day by you know, this, it was a deaf child there. They have the sign out there. And there was one day he was driving by. He felt God told him to stop and pray for the child. And he's like, okay. He's a good friend of mine. And he just wants to obey what God. So he stopped and went and knocked on the door and prayed for the kid. Many of us would question whether that was God's voice or not, right? But he prayed for the kid. He just did obey. And it wasn't this miraculous healing that we know. It was sometimes I think God tells us to do something just to see if we'll obey. But that's listening to God's voice. So the difference between Jesus being the savior of your life and the Lord of your life is this. He says, we we all like the savior part um, because all that requires from us is an admission that we're sinners in need of a savior. But to to make him the Lord of our life means that we have to say no to some things that we really wanna say yes to. 
behaviors that we want to keep doing that we start having to say no to. So there's a difference between Savior and Lord. Savior means that I accepted him as my Savior. I get to go to heaven because of that. Well, now I got to try to live a life that pleases him. And that's a lot harder to do. It's a lot easier to say yes on the wedding day than it is to be married. Right? Way easier to say I do than to keep doing. It just is, right? Because life happens. But after the I do is important, we get saved, which means the wedding ring is put on our finger. We're, we're, we belong to Jesus now. But now I have to live in a way that honors him. You see, I've told people that if you get married and you still live like you're single, you're going to be single again. Yeah, that's marriage advice. You, you have to change how you live. When you get married, you, you make promises that you need to keep now. You need to not go out and do things that you used to do when you were single to keep the marriage healthy. And as a Christian, when we get saved, we have to change behaviors. Let me tell you something. It, it, you don't lose anything when you get saved. It's everything is gain. Everything is good. So we have to make Jesus the Lord of our life. Okay, again, saying the vows are the easiest part of marriage, and I've often said that we should be honest and call them marriage intentions instead of marriage vows. I've done a lot of weddings, I've seen a lot of promises made right here, and I've just shaken my head going, you're out of your mind, you have no idea what you're saying. I promise to love you even when you're angry. I promise to never be harsh with you in my words, and I'm going... Ah, infatuation's a good thing, but brother, you're about to wake up. Um, and it, it, just because I know how it works, right? It's, we should be marriage intentions. See, we like the security of the wedding ring, but we bristle like a porcupine at the serve the other part. Back in the early days of ministry when we started, my wife and I, in 1991 is when I was full-time, um, I, I, we used to have the word submit, like in a wedding vow, it would be the, the woman would say, and I'd submit to her husband. And, and over the course of years, women start saying, I don't want that word in my vows. And I'm like, why? Because I want to submit. Oh, you don't, huh? So you want to go against the Bible when it says wives submit to your husbands? Well, we could park here, couldn't we? Because <laughs> y'all got really quiet. Inside, the husbands are going, yeah, preach it, Pastor Stan. And the women are going, wait, wait, you're stepping on my toes. <laughs> we don't like the word submit. Somehow submission, it, it has this connotation as being a subservient person. And, and so we started seeing all these women not want that in their thing. And that used to be a thing. Well, guys, here's what the Bible says, because we can make the Bible say whatever we want. We can leave it at wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, well, you know what the Bible says? What Jesus said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mutual submission is a beautiful thing. So if you have this where well, you have to submit to me, woman, if you are not married and guys like that, do not marry that man. If he pulls you, oh, you got to submit to me. Like, yeah, I'll submit my resignation right now. We are no longer engaged, right? <laughs> Out of here. Don't, don't pull that. We are to serve each other. I got to remember, my wife is God's daughter and he's pretty fond of his girls. Girls, you are liked more than us guys. I just know God has a special place in his heart for you females. Is that the correct word, Females. Well, I said girls. I got to be correct these days. I know who I'm talking to. Um, so female just covers female, right? Ladies, girls, you, you are gods, and I, I respect that. I look, I look, I've read the whole Bible. I read the whole Bible, and I see that God has a special place in his heart for ladies. He really does. Okay, I'm a, I'm a, I got two daughters and a son. I love my son, but there's something about a girl, okay, that they can seem to get more out of you than your son can. Daddy. <laughs> I would be afraid if my dad came, or my son came up and said, Daddy. I'd be like, bro, get, get away from me. <laughs> What's your problem? <laughs> he's a manly man. 
I'd have a problem with that. But God has a special place in his heart, ladies, for you. He really does. He really does, and I'm good with that. So when I talk to my wife, and I have to remember, this is God's daughter I'm married to. I better honor her. I better respect her. I better submit to her. Why? Because the Bible says that. Submit to each other out of a reverence for Christ. And that's why we have a beautiful marriage. It's not a perfect marriage, because I'm in it, <laughs> okay? <laughs> but we have a beautiful marriage. I've been in love with her more than ever before, um, and, and it's, it's a fun thing. So we like security of the salvation part, but we often bristle again at the Jesus be the Lord of my life part. We shouldn't be that way. So we, we fail to appreciate salvation because it didn't cost us anything. But when we can truly appreciate what salvation cost Jesus, we will be willing to follow his plan so much easier that he gave me a second chance at life. I was headed to hell and he gave me heaven. It's nothing for me to serve him and say, God, I'll give you everything that I am. Will I be human? Absolutely. Will I have emotions? Absolutely. Will I fight some things? Absolutely. But when we yield to say, okay, God, sorry, my pride got in the way, Lord. I will do what you want me to do because it's not always easy. Okay, God will smile on that. So when it comes to what God asks of us, we're either compliant or we're defiant. Well, what does that mean to you today? Like, is God asking you to do something where you say, God, I'll, I'll do it. I don't, I don't even really like it, but I'll do it. Or are you defiant? Like, I don't want to. I don't want to. Our kids are having a good time, all right? Some of you be like, whoa, that was my child. No, they're having fun. All right? So here's what I want to learn today. I'll have Pastor John come back up because I'm about done. Can I quit a little early? I can, I can, but I won't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I asked that question. No, we're gonna, we'll leave a little earlier. What I want us to learn today is this. Uh, life truly submitted to God's plan is a happy life. It's not always easy, okay, but happiness comes from being obedient, and I can be at peace with my situation when I just obey, even when I don't understand. Like Mary here, she doesn't really understand what's about to happen or what it's gonna cost her. It's kind of an as-you-go thing. Because there's not one time where the, where the, the angels say, okay, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be thought you were sleeping around. You're going to be, you know, you could be stoned by the, I mean, the, the angel could have said, hey, all this stuff's good. But he didn't, fortunately, God doesn't always tell us all the details. Isn't that good? God says, you're going to be born to the, or born, give birth to the Savior of the world. Um, and, and there's going to be some problems in, in between. But she still said, yes, I'll still, I'll still do what you want. God's plan is the best plan, and God's plan uh, for your life will come about if, you have, if you're willing to obey, only if you're willing to obey. Uh, there's always a price to pay when you do it your own way, amen? God has a plan, and it's good for you, and you need to submit to it. Uh, this morning, I didn't share this with first service, but I was driving here, and one of my goals this year was to hear God's voice just with phrases or statements, and as I was driving, and I'm just going over what I was gonna talk about, is this, and, and maybe this is what you need to hear. Again, this is a pen in my notes two hours ago when I was driving here. What you see as interruption may actually be God's intervention. What you see as interruption may actually be God's intervention. And I got my phone and I said, God, that's a really good statement. I had to talk in my phone in the fog. It was a little scary, but I drive by faith because um, I didn't, I'm old now and I, those thoughts will flee. But that must have been for somebody here today because it wasn't in my original notes. What you see as interruption may actually be God's intervention. And I hope that meant something to you because um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thought that I believe God wants me to share with you. Man, what you see as interruption may actually be God's intervention. Mary had an interruption in her life, but it was God's intervention because it was a great thing. Are you willing to just be obedient when you don't understand? It's hard, but it's necessary. Amen. We love it when our kids obey when they don't get it. We don't have to explain every decision to our children. 
but we just want them to say, okay. And that's what God wants from us. Amen. We like it. I think God likes it when we do that. So my question for you now is if you're here and there are so many people in this place that have given their life to Jesus, but if you have not, I want you to be, you know how I believe if there's heaven and there's hell, guys, and you get to choose where you go. The Bible is very clear that if you die apart from Christ, that you pay for your own sins for eternity in hell. And hell is a hot place. You read the book of Revelation, the end of it, it describes hell and it's a terrible, terrible place. And that's why Jesus came. And if you've not made that decision to follow Jesus and you want to, I'm not forcing you, can't do that, but, but if you want to, I'm gonna ask you a question. I'm gonna ask you if you want to do that in just a moment, if you would lift your hand up. But I like to do it this way. I believe that you live for God publicly, but salvation doesn't have to be a public thing because there's kind of a thing with preachers of getting people to come for or whatever, but that's not really what it's about. What it's about is whether or not you're gonna accept Jesus. So if you would bow your heads with me, it's just how I choose to do it here because it's kind of a private time between you and God. But if you need to make that decision today, I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you in front of anybody, but I am gonna ask you just to lift your hand up so that I know who you are and I wanna pray with you to receive Jesus as your savior. You get to choose whether you go to heaven or hell and it's a simple choice to accept what Jesus did on the cross for us. That is the only way to heaven and it's, and it, it's a matter of seconds. It's just a prayer to say, Jesus, I, I need you in my life. So if that's you today, if you're here, would you just lift your hand up where I can see it? It's just, just me and you and the Lord. I just wanna make sure, and again, I'm not gonna take very long because it's not something I pressure people into, but if you need to give your life to Jesus today, Okay, I don't see any hands. Amen. If you're a little too scared to, it's a simple prayer. It's a prayer of saying, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins and I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. It's that simple. How many of you today may be going through something you don't understand? I'm talking to everybody now. Something that you just don't get. You're like, I, I don't understand, but maybe God's in this. Would you lift your hand up and say, okay, there's hands up all over the place. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for these hands that are raised. And I pray today that this message would have just touched their hearts to just believe you and keep going even when we don't get it, even when we don't understand what's happening. We believe that you're bigger than our circumstance. We believe that you're bigger than what we don't understand. And I pray that you give them confidence today to know that they take one more step, they serve you one more day, that they will see you come through for them. And I love you and give you thanks for that, God, that you're active in our every day of our life, every moment of our life, you're there. And we give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, guys, thank you so much for being here. We are gonna close with a quick song. So, Pastor John, if you lead us, if you just stand up, because your kids aren't done out of kids' church yet.